Lord, I thank you that you are in this place. Lord, you are love. Our God is love. Lord, I thank you that you're meeting people's needs today. You know everything in our lives that's going on. There's not one aspect of our lives that escape your attention. And Lord, you are here, our God, the one who never leaves us, the one who never forsakes us, the one that promises to be closer than a brother. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. And Lord, thank you that this morning as we gather around your word, you're going to encourage us. You're going to strengthen us. You're going to give us direction for our Monday and our Tuesday. And Lord, we're so grateful that you are an ever-present God in our lives. It's not a one-off prayer that we make and then we're left to our own devices, but Lord, you promise to be with us every day, to lead us and to guide us, to follow us and surround us. And we're so grateful for that, Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen, well, you may take your seats. Isn't it good to be in church? And how great we're able to sing now behind our masks. So we can sing with gusto now on a Sunday, which is awesome. And it's just great to gather around the Word of God. And like I prayed, the Word of God is our beacon of hope. It, the Word of God is the light that illuminates the path for us. And I never want to take that for granted. I never want to take that for granted for my life and how I live my life. So this morning we're going to look at the scriptures together. And I want us to begin by considering the fact that we live in a world that is filled with deception and scandal. You only have to look at athletes being suspended for doping. You only have to see that identity theft and fraud is on the increase. You only need to look at our governments to see corruption is prevalent. And even reputable companies, household names like VW are involved in deception just like they were when they were rigging their emissions tests in their cars to produce better results. Scandal and corruption are all around us. We live in a world where self-interest is prevalent and where we bend the rules to get our own way and to suit our own purpose. And you know, nothing has changed since the beginning of time. Because when sin entered the world, this is what happened. Corruption, sin entered our world. And so we are, continue to live in a world that's filled with all of these things. We're living in a generation now where there are no moral absolutes. Where truth is now relative and where people's opinions can change like the wind. Whilst we live in a nation stepping away from the foundations from which it was built upon, which is the word of God, we are now seeing a culture where man is making rules and regulations and passing laws to suit our own agenda without thinking of the consequences that these laws are going to bring into the lives of the followers. 
And yet, despite the fact that we are living in a nation that is moving away from the things of God, despite the fact that we live in a culture where whatever, is, whatever I believe is right, well, despite all of that, we are told and we are encouraged as followers of Jesus not to follow the pursuit of the culture in which we live in. We are not invited to embrace the new laws and doctrines of the world in which we live, but yet the word of God declares to us as followers of Jesus that we are to follow him. That is what the word of God says for your and for my life, that we are to follow him. We are not to set the course of our lives based on popular thought, but we are to live our lives according to the word of God and its timeless truths. Because the Bible says that we are to follow him so that we can become more like him. That is the pursuit, isn't it, of every lover of Jesus is to follow him and become more like him. So I want us to think about that. What is important to know if we're going to pursue something? What is important to know? Because if we're going to be influenced by something, we need to understand about the influencer. What is the thought process? What is the thinking? What does the, the influencer, what, what do they believe? So I want us to think about that in relation to us setting our course in following Jesus. What does the Bible say? What is important for us to know if we are to wholeheartedly pursue God and his truth for our lives? So I want us to look at some scriptures to begin with to set a foundation about God and about about what the Bible says about his word. So first of all, we're going to look at Numbers 23, 19, and it says this, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Malachi 3, 6 says this, I am the Lord. I do not change. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says this, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. 2 Samuel 2 31 declares this, As for God, his way is perfect. The word of our Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? God is my strength and my power, and he makes my way perfect. And finally, Hebrews 13, verse 8 to 9 says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. So this is the God in whom we are pursuing. This is the God in whom we are running after and diligently following after the God who does not change, the God who is consistent, the God that remains constant. Think about it. The word of God declares that his way is proven, that his word is 
no, his way is perfect, sorry, and his word is proven. Think about that. Think about his word is proven and his way is perfect. That should fill us with such confidence and insurance. Because let's be honest, with man, our ways are flawed because of sin. So if we are choosing to follow the course of a man or a woman, we are being led by somebody who has sin in their lives, whose ways are flawed. But the way of God is not flawed. The way of God for our lives is perfect. That's so encouraging for me to think that is who I'm setting. That's who I'm following for my life. And not only that, his word is proven. You know, many laws are being made in our society that are changing the fabric of our being and they're leading people on a path to destruction. There's no provenness in what's being said, but people are wholeheartedly following after it because they're believing the governments and the societies and the the popular thought of our, our culture. But the sad thing is, As in following our way, we're destroying our lives. But the word of God, if we are to follow the word of God and allow the word of God to frame our thinking, allow the word of God to be the thing that we pursue after, the Bible declares that his word is proven. He's never going to lead us down a dead end lane. He's never going to cause us to do something and then say, oh, I didn't think about the consequences of that when I told you to do that. Oh, sorry, I've messed up your life. No, God's not like that. We're not an experiment to God. His word is proven for our lives. And because of that, we can have confidence in it. So what does this mean for our daily lives as followers of Jesus? It means this, that in a world where boundaries are constantly being blurred, where goalposts are constantly being changed, as we follow him, we will never be left wondering what is right or wrong. We will never be left thinking, do I do this? Do I do that? No, the word of God is the word of God. And the word of God that was spoken 2,000 years ago is still the same word that he speaks to us today. He doesn't change his word based on our background, our culture, and what we believe. No, the word of God stands firm and true. And so we can have confidence that the word of God will set the direction for our lives to bring us into a place of blessing and prosperity. So if the word of God is the thing in which we are going to frame our lives, if the word of God is what we've been called to follow, that we're being called to follow him, then how should we live? Philippians 2 verse 15 says this, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. That's how we're to live our lives. We're to shine bright in our families. We're to shine bright with our friends. We're to shine bright in our schools, our colleges, our universities. We're to shine bright in our workplace. That is what we, our lives are called to be. Lights that are shining in the midst of the darkness. So how can we live clean, innocent lives? 
And that's what I want us to begin to explore over the next two weeks. And I want us to look at living a life filled with integrity. The reality is our integrity is under attack daily. But I believe there's a vital link between living clean and innocent lives and living with integrity. And so we're going to begin to explore these things over the next two weeks. So what is integrity? Well, let's look at some definitions and talk about what it means. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word translated integrity means the condition of being without blemish. It means uprightness. In the New Testament, it also refers to integrity as honesty and following a pattern of good works. The word integrity comes from the same Latin root as integer, which means and implies a wholeness of a person. Integrity is the quality or state of being complete and undivided. Our God is an integrous God. Our God is a, a God of integrity. He is whole, complete, undivided, and he is the ultimate example, the embodiment of what integrity is. And we see through the life of Jesus how his son walked a life filled with integrity. And 1 Corinthians 11 says this concerning our lives. We are encouraged to be imitators of Christ. So that means for you and I that this call to integrity should form part of our daily lives too. We are called to live the same just as Jesus was. So as we begin to look at this whole aspect of integrity, I want us to begin to look at how do we get integrity? You may have been brought up in a home where you say, do you know what, Faye? I don't have great role models to follow. If I'm honest, my family, you know, thought nothing of being underhanded or lying or cheating. So it's really difficult for me because actually I've got nothing to follow in terms of integrity. Well, I want to encourage you. If your background, perhaps you haven't had people of integrity living around you, but the reality is you don't need it to be an integrous person. And you don't need it to be an integrous person for this reason. Because we are, if we want to have integrity, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to teach us. So we don't need people to teach us, but allow the Holy Spirit to transform us from the inside out. When we asked Jesus into our lives, we became new creations. And so we want to follow him because his ways are perfect and he will lead us to live a life of integrity. 1 John 2, 27 says this, but you have received the Holy Spirit and he lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. And what he teaches is true. It is not a lie. 
So just as he taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. You may not have had role models, but because of your decision to follow Jesus, you've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And he is the perfect role model, the perfect teacher to lead and to guide us. So we have the Holy Spirit to help us to become more like Jesus. The second way that we can get integrity is by becoming students of the word. Taking time to read what God has to say and then diligently seeking to apply his word for our lives is how we will walk with integrity in the midst of the generation in which we've been born into. One, James 1.22 says this, but don't, listen to God, but, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. So we listen, we read the word of God, and then we apply it to our lives and we walk it out. And those two aspects, the word of God and the Holy Spirit, is all we need to be people of integrity. You don't need anything else. You just need the word of God and the Holy Spirit and watch what he will do in your life and in my life. So the next question I want to ask is, how do, what does a person of integrity look like? I'm confident we all want to be people of integrity, don't we? We all want to live integrous lives whilst we're here on this earth. And I don't know about you, but when I go on a journey, if I want to head to a destination, the first thing that I do is get my sat-nav out and begin to plot the course and begin to see where I'm going to head so I've got an understanding as to where I'm going. And that's what we're going to do over the next two weeks concerning this whole aspect of integrity. We're going to take some time to establish and build a character profile of what an, a person of integrity looks like. It's not going to be an exhaustive list, but it's going to help us on our way to understanding grassroots, feet on the ground, what does this look like for me practically as a believer and follower of Jesus as I walk and live out to be living a clean and innocent life in the world in which I live. So this is what we're going to look at. So to begin with, the first thing I want to say is a person of integrity is a person of strong conviction and determination of heart. A person of integrity stands for what is right. So how do we know what is right? We stand for what is right, but how do we know? Because we actually won't know a lot based on the, the, the culture in which we live if we were to follow our culture's way of what is right. So how do we stand for what is right? We can only stand for what is right by having a strong conviction. And when I mean that, what I'm saying is that we know what we believe and why we believe it. And that's why we've got to be really careful about what we expose ourselves to. Because it's really easy for our convictions to be influenced by the wrong sources. And that's why we need to rein ourselves constantly. And if we have a thought around something and we are formulating our ideas, we need to say, before I take this as a conviction, what does the word of God say? Yeah. 
Do the word, does what I'm thinking line up with the word of God? And if it doesn't, you take that thought and you throw it out of your life and say, I am not going to allow this thought to frame my conviction because it goes against what the word of God says. It is not possible to live seeking, following after God if you, you're following all these different branches of ideas. No, we set our course straight and we follow the word of God and the word Word of God only for our lives. We don't allow our thoughts to be molded by popular thought, to be modeled on society's views and beliefs, but we choose to frame our lives around the Word of God. And this is what will happen when we do that. Joshua 1.8 says this, study the book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. When we meditate on the word, when we put it into practice, we, when we obey what it says, the word of God declares we are promised success and prosperity. So we need to ground ourselves in the Bible, we need to allow the word of God alone to form our convictions. And then the next bit, the hard bit, is we have to live out these convictions. It's just not enough for it to be in our heads, but we actually have to choose to walk this through for our lives. When we have a strong conviction, we know what is right, and therefore we have to walk in what is right. Even when it's hard, we have to live right. Even when people don't like it, we need to make a decision to live right. Even when my emotions want to take me the wrong way, I need to choose to walk in what I know is right. Even when the cost seems high, we need to choose to walk in the right way. And even when other people that we love are bending the rules and getting away with it, we need to choose to walk in with what is right. I remember when I was in college, I was doing performing arts. And after the first year, we were given a script to learn in the summer holidays. And they said, have a look at this script. You're second year students. You're going to get all the main roles next year. So be sure to really familiarize yourself with it. And there will be auditions when we get back to college. So I was excited, as were all of the people going into the second year, because this was our time to shine. So I took the script home and I read it and my heart sank because the script is all about a Greek God who came down to earth impregnated a woman. She had a baby and he became like a God and directed um, the world. And I was like, I can't do it. I cannot do this. This, this is just a ripoff of what, you know, what Jesus has done, what God has done through the birth of Jesus. I cannot do it. So I went to enroll in college um, at the end of um, August and lecturers were excited to see me. Hey, Faye, you ready for second year? And I said, I'm really excited for second year. Brilliant. So there's just one problem. They said, what's that? I said, I can't do the play. And they said, well, why? 
And I said, well, you know I love Jesus, and I can't do it because it goes against everything that I believe. I will not do this play. And they said, Faye, you've got to do the play. I said, well, I'm not doing it. And they said, well, if you don't do the play, Faye, then you may as well not enroll on the second year because you will fail the course. I said, well, if I have to fail the course, and if I have to, that's fine but I'm not going to do this play. And they said, well, that's up to you, Faye. We'll give you time to consider, but if you don't do this, you know, you're not coming on. And at that point, I had a choice to make. My heart was excited for the, you know, the training that I was undertaking in performing arts, which was something I believed God was leading me into, but I had a choice in that moment as to what I was gonna do. Was I going to hold strong to my convictions of knowing what is right? Or was I just going to turn a blind eye to it so that I could get ahead in my career potentially? And there at the age of 17, I had to make a choice. And I said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it. I will not do this play. If it means that I can't carry on in my course, so be it. But I will not do this play. I went home and naturally, I was hoping for a good result. I was hoping that they would have said, yes, yes, that's fine, Faye, and they didn't. So I went home and I was like, Lord, you've got to show me what to do now. You know, I've, I've applied, I've done a year already of training and it's kind of left me a bit concerned, but Lord, thank you that you direct my path. And Lord, I just pray that you'll show me what the next step is. Well, by the middle of the week, I had a phone call from one of the course lecturers and they said, Faye, we've seriously considered um, the fact that you will not do this play and you really shouldn't um, be going forward in this course. However, we've made a decision that we will allow you to carry on to the second year. It's going to mean a whole lot of extra work for you because you're going to have to do a lot more work um, in different areas of um, the syllabus in order for you to get the skills and the credits that you need to to uh, graduate from the second year. But they said, we are going to let you on. And at that point in my life, I had that decision to make. At that point, it was a defining moment. And if it meant that I was going to have to move to a different course, so be it. But that's what the strength of a conviction will do in our lives when we know that we have to live right. Luke 9.23 gives us this call, this charge for all of us. Then he said to the crowd... If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. We, as believers in Jesus, will be, we will have to draw lines in the sand and we will have to stand up for what we're right with the right heart and a heart of love, but we must not bow to things that we know are wrong when God has called us to live right. We must not do that. <laughs> Secondly, I want to say that a person of integrity is a person that keeps your word. God is a God who keeps his word. And he wants us to do the same too. Matthew 5.37 says this, Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. We're to actually say what we mean and stick to it. 
When we give our word to something, we are taking, we are actually bringing our character into this decision. And we are showing the people that we have given our word to that we are trustworthy and that we are reliable. And therefore, our word is very important. So I want to give us some top tips for keeping our word. Number one, it is better not to commit at all than to commit and then make an excuse for not following through. Don't tell somebody you're going to ring them if you have no intention of ringing them. Just don't make the commitment. Don't say to somebody, yeah, I'll be there to a party or a gathering when you actually know you have no intention to do it, but it was just easier to say yes than to say no. Don't make a commitment if you don't plan on following through because we need to be people that keep our word because our lives are a representative of the life of Christ in us. Secondly, don't pull out of something just because it doesn't suit you anymore. You know, sometimes when we talk with the kids, we're like, where are we going to go on the weekend? And we make these plans and then you wake up on the weekend and you're like, oh, I really don't feel like doing that. Do you know what? If you've given your word to something, it doesn't matter what you feel like. If you've given your word to something, God wants you to follow through with your word. Because the Bible says, if we are undivided, it says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Don't be saying things you don't mean. If you say it, mean it, do it. Even if you don't feel like it. And also... If you say something, don't pull out of something just because you've had a better offer. David, in Psalm 15, talking about the character of those who will dwell with the Lord, says this in verse 4. He keeps his word even to his own disadvantage and does not change it for his own benefit. A person of integrity will keep their word, even if it means that we're going to lose out. Don't pull out a something because you've had a better offer. The person may not think much about it, but God does. And we're actually here and we live our lives unto God, not unto man. Okay, so he's watching and he's watching. It says, be faithful in the small things and become masters of much. He's watching all these little things that we do because he's, a, he's trying to work out, can, it, can they be faithful in this little thing? And he's watching. The fourth thing, I, or the third thing I want to say in terms of being a person of integrity is to keep your promises. We live in a world of empty promises. And I think we've all been on the receiving end, haven't we, of a broken promise. And broken promises hurt they disappoint. They can cause us to feel rejected. They can cause us to feel angry, upset. And it's not nice. So we really need to think carefully about the promises that we make to people. And not just the promises that we make to people, but the promises that we make to God too. So I've got some top tips because promises are a big deal to God. Keeping your words a big deal, promises are a big deal. Numbers 30 says this, verse 2, A man who makes a vow to the Lord or makes a pledge under oath must never break it. He must do exactly what he said he would do. 
So here's some top tips to help us when we're making promises. Firstly, don't make promises in the spur of the moment. Proverbs 20, 25 says this, don't trap yourself by making a rash promise to God and only later counting the cost. Too often we jump in, yeah, I promise I'll do that for you. And we don't consider the impact of it. And then when we do, we're like, oh, I don't want to do this. No, if you're going to make your promise, count the cost before you make a promise. Don't do it on the spur of the moment. Take time to consider what you are actually saying because it's important when we say something that we follow through with it. We're not to break promises. God is a promise keeper, not a promise breaker, and he wants that for our lives too. Second tip concerning promises, think before you speak. Have you ever said something to God like, oh Lord, I promise if you'll just do this, I'll change my ways, la 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 la. Or you promise to other people things and you just blurted out it seemed a good idea in this nanosecond that it came to your head you blurted out but listen to what Ecclesiastes 5 verse 4 says when you make a promise to God don't delay in following through for God takes no pleasure in fools keep all the promises you make to him it is better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it Don't let your mouth make you sin. Have you ever considered that regarding promises? That when we make promises and don't keep them, it's sin? That is the seriousness of what we're talking about concerning promises. So as a person of integrity, we should be a person that keeps our promises, that keeps our word, and has strong convictions and determination of heart. The fourth thing I want to say is that as people of integrity, we should live by one standard. Proverbs 20, 23 says this, the Lord detests double standards. God is not a God of double standards. The word of God gives us one standard from which we live. And that standard does not change based on where we find ourselves in in the timeline of creation. It does not change dependent on which country we live. It doesn't change depending on our background, nor does the standard change depending on our circumstances. The Bible has one standard. It's not one rule for one and another rule for another. And so we need to be people of integrity that have one standard. Now you may say, oh, Faye, well, I'm not a person that has double standards. You know, when I was looking at this, I was like, no, I think I'm okay on that. But what I love about the Bible is that the Bible doesn't leave us in the dark concerning what double standards are because God probably knows that what we think is a double standard and what he thinks is a double standard are two different things. So the word of God provides direction for us as to what a double standard looks like. And I'm just going to talk to us on double standards in relation to people. Okay, so what I want us to consider is that we can have double standards sometimes in the way that we 
treat other people. 1 John 2 verse 9 says this, If anyone claims I am living in the light but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. There's a double standard there. With one, with, you know, in our bedroom, we're like, I love you, Lord. You're so wonderful. We're singing and we, I love Jesus. He's so amazing. But then we've got unforgiveness harbored against somebody that's offended us six months ago when we still haven't dealt with it. Then we've got a root of bitterness that's taking in because somebody said something and you hate that person now because they said it to you. Then we've got somebody that's let you down and you're like, well, I ain't loving them. They don't love me. I ain't loving them. And the Bible says when we act, in hate towards another person, we're actually living in darkness. Don't fool ourselves to think that we're children of light if we're not going to take this standard that God has called us to and live it out day to day. It's not words on a page. It's not, Lord, give me all of this. Give me your forgiveness. Give me your love. And then, but I'm not giving it to anyone else. No, we know the great commission is to love others as Christ loved us. That is the ultimate call. And we have talked about that so so much in recent months. But that to God is a double standard. Not loving others the way that God's called us to love them is a double standard. So we need to watch the way that we treat others. But concerning the word of God, it doesn't end there. He even goes into the searchlight and puts the searchlight on our thoughts. So not only do we have to act right towards other people, we've got to think right towards other people. That's even harder, hey? Matthew 7 says this, Don't, Do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own. How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite! First get rid of the log in your own eye and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your own friend's eye. We've got to watch what we think about other people. Let's not have ourselves on pedestals where we think we've got it all together and we're strong in one area, so we're there quickly saying, well, I'd never do that. Well, I'd never do that. Well, can you believe they've done that? No, 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 no. The searchlight of God is on our thoughts like it is our actions, and God wants us to be a pure people that are living integrity, live with integrity, and therefore, we need to make sure that we think right towards other people as well, not have a double standard, not be there. It's one rule for me and another rule for another. No, we think right towards other people. And thirdly, in terms of our double stands, the Lord will address us in the way that we speak, the way we act, the way we think, and the way we speak. Matthew 23 says this, then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they preach. 
That is a great lesson to us as believers. What are we saying? Are we saying for people to do certain things and then we don't do those things? No, we've got to practice what we preach. And if we don't, we're living by a double standard. But it's a big deal to God because he says he detests double standards. It's not like he brushes it under the carpet. God detests double standards. Because God is a God who's not divided. He's not double-minded. And his call, his ultimate for us is to be people that live with one standard and not have all this murkiness of a double standard. The fifth thing I want to say is that as people of integrity, we should be people who are honest. It says this, the Lord detests double standards, um, which we looked at, and then it goes on to say, he is not pleased by dishonest scales. In fact, earlier on in Proverbs 20, it says this, false weights and unequal measures, the Lord detests double standards of every kind. So what is a dishonest scales? What is a false weight? Well, the dishonest scales are scales that have been deliberately altered to show an incorrect weight so that a customer can be cheated. So it's like going into a shop, you think you're buying a kilo of sugar when it goes onto the weighing scales because that's what it shows, but actually the shopkeeper has tweaked those scales and really you're buying 900 grams of sugar. That is what a false scales and a dishonest scales looks like. So what does that look for, like for us? Dishonesty will always appeal to greed in us. And so therefore we have to be careful that we are not dishonest with other people to, for our own gain. We've got to be careful that we are not dishonest, which means we don't cheat. That's what dishonesty is, isn't it? It's cheating. So whether people see our cheat or not, God sees our cheat. And God says, no, 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 no. I, I, don't, I don't dig this whole dishonest scales thing. Don't do things that are wrong. Don't do things that are dishonest for your own gain. Because God really isn't into it. And the thing with dishonesty is that perhaps other people don't know what we've done, but it will affect us to our core. It will impact us in our being. So if we live dishonestly, if we live cheating, don't think if other people haven't spotted it that you've got away with it. It's going to corrode you. It's going to corrode you, and God doesn't want that. He doesn't want any of us to live under that blanket and heaviness of dishonesty. So as people of integrity, we act and speak honestly um, in every dealing in our lives. So I just, as we come to a close this morning, as we follow and pursue God in our lives, <laughs> the reality is the standard is really high, isn't it? This character profile of a person of integrity, wow, that's a big one to live up to. But God says you can do it. 
God says he's not asking us to live this life, this Christian life in our own strength. In fact, John 15 says this, apart from me, you can do nothing. God wants us to abide in him. He wants us to allow the Holy Spirit to work and flow through us. He's not asking us to do this in our own strength. He's asking us to lean and rely on him to come before him and say, God, help me become a person of integrity. And do you know what? We can gain great strength and encouragement from David in the Bible concerning this. Because David was a man with many flaws. We know that. He sinned. He messed up. He ended up having to deal with the consequences of that for the rest of his life in some circumstances. But do you know what? In the midst of the tripping up and in the midst of the mistakes, David did not withdraw himself from God, but instead he ran to God and his heart reached out to God. And listen to what um, David said, because David knew he had a divided heart. David knew he could be divided. Um, David knew he could be double-minded and he knew he could be dishonest. But in Psalm 86, it says this, this is God. This is David's cry from his heart to God. He says, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. In the New Living Translation, it says that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. That was David's prayer. He knew his shortcomings, but he knew his God. And his prayer to God was that he would be taught the ways of God, that he would walk those out in truth. And he knew he could be divided in his heart. So he said, oh God, Give me an undivided heart to follow you wholly. And do you know what? What I love about this, and we get to read scripture on the other side of the event. What I love is that we see what God did in David's life. We get to track this story through. And we get to see the man that God made David. Not because David was strong in his own strength, but because David cried out to God and said, teach me, teach me. Listen to what is recorded in 1 Kings when the Lord appeared to Solomon, David's son. 1 Kings 9 verse 4 says this, As for you, if you will follow me with integrity and godliness as David your father did, obeying all my commands, decrees, and regulations, then I will establish the throne of your dynasty over Israel forever. David knew he was a man with a divided heart. He cried to God. But what's known of David as recorded when the Lord appeared to Solomon, he didn't see David as a man with an undivided heart. He saw man, David as a man of integrity because that's what God can do with us. When we're broken, we're weak, we mess up, but we call to God. And when we call to God, we make a decision that God, if you strengthen me, then I'm going to walk this out. I'm going to choose to do it. And we see that in David's life, that he was known as a man of integrity. Not only that, we can look into the New Testament and still David's being talked about. In Acts 13, 22, it says this, but God removed Saul and replaced him with David. 
a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. David was no longer a man that had a divided heart, hey? You can't have a divided heart and do everything that God's commanded you to do. No, God transformed David and made him a man that would walk and follow in his ways. And so for you and I, we can take courage in that today. That yes, the standard is high, but hey, God's not asking us to do it in our own strength. He's coming alongside us and saying, I'll be there to help you. I'll be there to instruct you. I'll be there to guide you. My word will illuminate the path before you. All we have to do is choose to follow in that direction and watch what God will do in and through our lives. So we're going to continue to look at this whole aspect of integrity next week, but I want to encourage you. We uh, should be excited to be called to be people that live a life of integrity. And let's allow the Holy Spirit to teach us and instruct us to allow the word of God to direct our path so that we can shine bright. We can shine bright in a world that's dark, that we can point to Jesus and say, hey, this is nothing to do with me, but this is the work of the Lord in me. Look what he's done with me and look what he can do with you too. So you may be here this morning and maybe you've never asked Jesus into your life. I would love to invite you to make the best decision of your life. Asking Jesus into your life will transform you from the inside out. We need a savior. That's why Jesus left heaven and came to earth because he knew we needed somebody to follow because we're great at making mistakes. We're great at messing up and taking ourselves on a course of destruction. And God doesn't want our lives to head down that dark dead end path. But he said, no, he brought Jesus into the equation and said, actually, there's a better way. And all you have to do is place your faith and trust in Jesus. So today, if you're here, you've never asked Jesus into your life. I would love to pray a prayer with you. And I, I want to encourage you. You don't have to change your act or clean your life up before Jesus accepts you. All that Jesus asks is that we place our faith and trust in his name. So why don't you pray this prayer with me now? Why don't you say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for leaving heaven to die on a cross so that I could be forgiven. I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes. I'm going down a path that is dark, but I need you as a savior to come into my life, to forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I want to follow you. If you prayed that prayer today, you have prayed the best prayer of your life. And I want to encourage you. On the way out, we've got a Bible that you can receive. If you're watching online, message us and we'll send you one. But I want to encourage you to keep coming to church. Keep coming to church and watch what God is going to do in your lives. Our lives don't become the, the finished package overnight. No, God takes us on a journey. Thank God he does. But he takes us on a journey of transformation and so keep coming to church and watch what God will do in and through your lives. Amen. Amen.